West Bowles, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, um, not too long ago, I came across an old Michigan law and just simply stated, it says this. Fellas, you're going to love this, all right? It says, in the state of Michigan, a woman's hair legally belongs to her husband. A woman's hair legally belongs to her husband. Okay, does anyone in here know what any of that means for us right now? I will show you. It's this. Right there. I am a, uh, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1980, and I always daydreamed what it would be like to be in the band Def Leppard, and now I think I know what it would look like. So, we should probably take that down. Based on some looks, it looks like we're freaking some people out. So, <laughs> well, that law is no longer in effect, but we are surrounded by laws, aren't we? I mean, there are laws, laws everywhere on a very formal level. We have laws that speak to criminal conduct. We have laws that speak to the operation of a motor vehicle. And we have laws about that thing that we just walked through, taxes. In fact, did you know our tax code right now, it is 3,800,000 words long. Okay, War and Peace, if you ever fought your way through that book, it's like this thick. All right, seven or almost eight copies of that book bound together, you would have our tax code. And there's no story. No plot, no twist, no buildup. There is one point, and it's you will pay us, but that's about it. You will legally, you're bound by the law to pay us. But we also have laws on a less formal level. We have, you very likely have some personal laws, or maybe you call them rules for living, or guidelines, or values. And those are the kind of things that you, maybe you've got a personal rule that just says, if somebody makes me mad, I'm going to go into the other room, I'm going to count to ten, I'm going to take three deep breaths, whatever it is. You have rules and laws that govern your household. We recently implemented one in our house, and it goes like this. You shall not lick the floor. <laughs> and we have variations of it. You shall not lick the sidewalk. You shall not lick the grass. You shall not, you shall not lick any surface that someone can walk on. And that's not a rule that Kara and I decided on when we got married. That was something put in place when our son turned two. Because everywhere we go, he is licking the floor. It's just... And if I could figure out how to strap him onto the end of a stick, I'd have the greatest mop in the world. Well, let me ask you something. What if somebody came along and said, you are no longer obligated to keep any law? You are no longer obligated to keep the laws that you've held to. How would you operate? What would your day-to-day -day life look like? Would you still pay your taxes? When you go to the grocery store, would you pay for your groceries if there was no law against shoplifting? How would you drive? Would road rage still be part of the equation? Texting and driving? And I think the question we're all wondering is, would Lincoln still lick the floor? And the answer to that is yes, he would. The other day I said, Lincoln, I'm leaving the room. No look in the floor. Looked back around the corner. He was like. <laughs> okay, let's take you out of the equation. I want you to think and answer about people in general right now. Your thoughts on people in general. If we 
we're no longer obligated to keep the laws. How many of you, just by show of hands, think that people's standard or their way of living would actually improve? Lots of faith in humanity in here. All right. And how many of you think it would descend into total chaos? I'm right there with you. Yep. Well, this actually happened. A man came along, Paul. You've heard about him. We've talked about him. A man came along, and he wrote a letter to some people called the Galatians, who were having some disputes in their church. And his letter to the Galatians is actually where we're going to be this morning. It's part of the Bible. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. But here's what Paul says to the Galatians, all right? It's verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Well, Paul, what do you mean by free? Well, he establishes earlier in the letter that what happened at the cross freed you. And to, to understand exactly what it freed us from, you got to go back a little bit, or a lot of bit, okay? God, when he, when he um, created people, he established a nation, a nation that would be his people, Israel. And one of the things that God did is he established laws for them. And he did this for a few reasons. One was to point at his holy character. Another reason was to steer the physical and spiritual health of that nation, to set them apart. But he also established law to do something else. He said, if you will keep this law, you will live in right relationship with me. Well, how well do you think that went? It didn't go well at all. And so the law did something else. The law made God's people aware of their sin. It's kind of like when you see a speed limit that says 40, how fast do you drive? 45? I thought I heard somebody say 70 over here. <laughs> Call me when you're out on the road, all right? But when the speed limit's 65, how fast do we drive? See, that speed limit serves as a marker that reminds us there's something in me that wants to maybe go over that, where I tend to do that by nature. And so Paul, he says, look, none of, none of us can keep the law. There's a history of it, and it, it made people aware of that. And so they became aware that they needed a Savior. So what did God do? He sent a Savior, Jesus. Jesus, the only one who has ever walked the earth, who completely and fully fulfilled the law. And after living this holy life in which he fulfilled the law, you know what he did? He went to the cross. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for you, for me, and for everyone who's ever walked the earth who's fallen short of God's holy standard. Now, that's an incredible thing. In fact, that's something that you look at it. When you see God look at you and go, it is finished. The penalty is paid. I don't know about you, but that surfaces something in me that says, what can I do? What can I do? We just sang it in the song. What can I do in response if you did that for me? And so Paul says, well, I've got some thoughts. I've got a lot of thoughts about what you can do. And look what he says. Go back to verse 13 there. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom. That is, you're no longer obligated to keep the law, so don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so, so wait a second. 
we're freed from living a life that falls short of, that breaks God's law, but, but we're also freed for something. We're freed for a life of love that actually fulfills the law, Christ's love. I mean, just think about this for a minute. For the entire law is fulfilled in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Whether it was their laws that we're referring to or our own, how many laws do you think would be a non-issue if we could keep that? That's what he's getting at. If you will love one another with the love of Christ, then laws aren't something that you're really going to be butting up against. Because when God established the law, it was all fulfilled by this one thing, love. And then Paul goes on, verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. See, there were some among the Galatians who thought, well, yes, the cross made us right in God's eyes, but it was the cross plus our ability to keep the law. And so they would walk around to new Christians and say, you need to consider this law. You need to keep this law. And Paul says, no. No, there is nothing that we do that makes us right in God's eyes. It is everything that Christ did. That's what makes us right in God's eyes. Here's what Paul's getting at. We just said this. You were freed from something, from your sinful nature, from the obligation to keep the law, but you were freed for something, for a life of love that actually fulfills that law. Think about it this way. When someone gets their driver's license, they're freed from something. They're freed from a law that says you can't drive without your driver's license. But you're also freed for a way of operating a car, of driving, that would show love. Love for the person in front of you on the road, behind you on the road, next to you on the road. When you get free from debt, you're free from having to keep the lender's terms. But you're freed for a way of spending your money that loves people of using it differently, because if you don't, you're going to end up back in debt. Last year, I got to talk to somebody who he'd been in prison for six years. For six years, he'd been in prison and then some, had some time in a halfway house. And he had mentioned that someone came to him during that time and said, look, you were living in such a way that you ended up in prison. And now you're about to be released to freedom you got to think very carefully about how you operate from this point going forward. Because you're free from the limitations and the restriction of prison. But if you continue to go back to the way you were living before, you're going to end up back in prison again. You were freed from something. We were also freed for something. Well, you look at all that and it gets a little confusing. It's like, okay, so Paul, what are you trying to say here? You're saying that we can't possibly keep God's law but you're also saying that we need to live a life of love that fulfills the law? And Paul says, yes. What? That's like asking, okay, are you hungry? Yes. Are you full? Yes. And Paul explains. He says, I will explain. Verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit. You want to know how you live a life that serves other people in love? You live by the Spirit. If you haven't been here the last couple months, Thomas has been, he's been talking about the Spirit. The Spirit is that, that being, that entity that Jesus sent. Right before he went to the cross, he said, I'm sending someone. I'm sending the Spirit. He will be your helper. He'll be your guide. And when he is in you, you will live a life like you just couldn't do without it. And he goes on. And you will not, if you will live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of 
of the sinful nature. And then pay attention to what he says next because I think what he says next gives comfort to us because a lot of times we experience what he says next and we think, oh, well, I'm not a very good Christian. Oh, I'm not a very good person because of this dynamic going on inside of us. Look at verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. In the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You know what Paul's saying? Guys, that's normal. You've been thinking you're not enough, that you're not, a, you're not a good Christian. But if you've got the spirit in you, you just need to know the life you were freed from, it's going to rise up against it and it's going to fight it. And so if you're going through that internal struggle, you're okay. It's all right. It's to be expected. It's like magnets. When you put magnets together, you know, you flip one around and suddenly you can't, you, you can't push them together. Uh, maybe I just have too much free time and this is what I do with our refrigerator magnets all the time. But then he goes on, verse 18. You, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. If you're led by the Spirit, you'll be living a life that goes nowhere near butting up with the law. It will fulfill that just as Christ did with his life of love. And so Paul's getting at something else here. He said the thing you need to know about your sinful nature and a, and a life that's led by the Spirit is that they're at war with each other. Let me ask you something. Have, how many of you have played tug of war? Just in your life, ever. Hopefully everybody. Okay. Imagine tug of war in the water. Okay, imagine tug of war in the water in a boat with oars. Okay, that's, that's what you're about to see. And I think this captures the dynamic of what goes on inside every single one of us. This is called dragon boat tug of oar. Take a look. Well, that was exhausting. <laughs> But isn't that how it feels? I think we read this and we think, oh, they're at conflict with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how it feels every single day that when you try to live a life led by the Spirit, you just need to know there's going to be resistance. In fact, I think what Paul actually meant to say there was that the life of the sinful nature is, is tug of oaring against the life of the Spirit. That's probably what the Greek term means. I don't know. I'm no seminary student. So, um, Anyhow, he goes on. Now, he says, now that you know the dynamic of these two types of lives, let me give you a picture of each of them. Okay, and this is where he gets real specific. And this is where we, we see some things about our own lives because you can see this stuff. Watch. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature. Have you noticed we've, we've progressed? What did he say before? The desires of the sinful nature. Now he says the acts of the sinful nature. In other, in other words, this is what it looks like when you let your desires fully grow. This is what life looks like. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity. We don't need help knowing what those are. It's all around us, right? You turn on the TV, the internet, billboards. It's all around us. You see it everywhere. 
He said sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, that's just whatever, with whoever, however much you want. It's just total indulgence. Idolatry, we've talked about that. That's where you take the things in your life and you make them the kings of your life, right? They drive you. Witchcraft, that's using the spiritual realm to get what I want for me. Hatred, nobody needs an explanation on that one. Discord, discord, this is that thing, the animosity that comes up between us. I got to be part of a team years ago, full of talent, the team, not me, okay, but full of talent and so much potential, and yet because of constantly wanting to one-up each other, the competition, always getting, you know, just biting and devouring each other, as Paul says a few verses ago, it creates a sense of discord, a lack of unity. Jealousy. Come on, we all know that one. Jealousy, this is that thing where when everybody's, you know, celebrating that person, and they're clapping, and the whole time you're like, hate her, hate her. And then she walks up, and you're like, oh, I'm so happy for you. <sighs> Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. We know these things, don't we? Dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You know what you see when you look up here? Think about Paul's earlier command. Serve one another in love. When you look at this list, you see love. You see love twisted. You see love distorted. You see love completely discarded. And you know what we have to do with these behaviors when they get out of control? We have to establish laws. We have to have laws to govern these things. And Paul's saying, if you want to give in, if you want to just follow down the road of your sinful nature's desires and let them play out, guess what? You'll be living under the law. You'll be butting up against the law over and over and over. And then look what he says next. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But think about it. If a life of perfect love has been offered to you, and yet you choose to continue to live a life of twisted, distorted, discarded love, you're probably not going to enjoy the kingdom of God very much, because what is the kingdom of God characterized by? Love. The right kind of love. Jesus' kind of love. And so then Paul, he switches over to the other side here, and he says, Now let me give you a picture of something else. Verse 22. But the fruit, the fruit. See, when our desires grow, it turns into works and acts and deeds of the sinful nature. But when the desires of the Spirit grow, what's it turn into? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A man named Ray Stedman had an incredible insight on this. He said, keeping in mind Paul's command of love, which was actually Jesus' command to love, look at this list. The first one is love, but each of those that follow it are an expression of Christ's love. Joy is love enjoying. Peace is love resting. Patience is love waiting. 
Kindness is love responding. Goodness is love choosing. Faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is love empathizing. And self-control is love resisting temptation. Well, that's a different kind of love, isn't it? That's the kind of love that I want to live. And that's the kind of love that I think we'd all want to live. That is the kind of love that Jesus lived out. And then Paul says something very profound here that we have to remember. Verse 24, or sorry, the end of verse 23. Against such things, there is no law. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen a law against that list? Can we go back to that list, the fruits of the Spirit? Have you ever seen a law against any of this? I mean, have, have any of you ever taken a ride in a police car from a couple cops and they, they get you to the station and they're like, your gentleness just overwhelmed everybody. We're going to book you. You're staying the night. Standing before a judge, way too kind and good. Put them in solitary six months. No, it's absurd. And this is what Paul's getting at. You live this life and you're fulfilling the law. In fact, you're living a life that's so beyond, beyond the law, but it's fulfilling it because of the, the Holy Spirit leads you to a life of Christ's love, Christ-like love. See, I think what Paul's getting at here is simply this, that what grows from my life depends on who's guiding my life. What grows from my life depends on who's guiding my life. You're going to grow something with your life. You can't not grow something. If you're a living, breathing person, something's going to grow from your life. But that's going to depend on who and what is guiding your life. I think we have trouble with this sometimes because here's what we do. We think, we think about us and we depend on and we revolve around us. And so we think, okay, I'm going to take part A and part B and I'm going to put those together and I'm going to make something. And I'm going to produce something. I'm going to manufacture something. That's, that's industrial thinking is what it is. Industrial thinking is when I think I'm in charge, I make everything, I achieve something, I accomplish something. And that's really the world we live in every single day, right? The industrial age... Stuff gets manufactured, okay? Think about God's word here. It's not industrial language in here. You know what the language used in here is? I mean, you hear about farmers. You hear about planting. You hear about sowing and reaping. You hear about a harvest. It's not industrial. It's agricultural. And agricultural thinking, you know what that means? That means I plant a seed, and then I water it, I tend it, I take care of it, but I don't make it grow. I don't make a seed grow. If we try to make a seed grow, if we try to put a piece of fruit together, we're going to have a mess. We'll have an absolute mess. So what does that mean? I mean, how do we, what do we take out of this? Well, I think Paul gives it to us in the next two verses. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus... Those who have trusted him with their lives, those who trust his spirit to live in their lives, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That means when I gave my life to Jesus, even though the sinful nature rages within me, when it comes up, 
I have the freedom to say, you're not going to guide me. You're not going to govern me. And I don't care if you have to say that out loud this week when you feel that desire coming up inside you. You don't get to govern me because I nailed it to the cross when I gave my life to Christ. And then Paul gives us one more thing. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do you notice it, it doesn't say the Spirit needs to keep step with us? Our tendency is to run ahead and I think I know what needs to happen. Paul says, no, you keep step with the Spirit. Field day, who remembers field day? Sixth grade year, my greatest and worst field day ever. I had gone through every event of the day, all blue first place ribbons, and we headed into the final event, the three-legged race, okay? And I don't know how this happened. Three-legged race, I got paired up with this guy who, he had a full beard, sixth grade, six foot 20, his arms were bigger than my legs. We tie our legs together and we might as well have just crawled to the, to the finish line. We didn't even get a ribbon for it. You know why? Because he thought he was in charge and I thought I was in charge. And that's true of all of us. You're walking through this life in a three-legged race. Are we keeping in step with the Spirit? And guess who gets to decide when you start, which foot you're using, when you get to take a break, all of that. Not you, not me. The Holy Spirit gets to decide that. You know, one of the things that I think um, I appreciate the most is when you see this lived out. When you look back on a life and you see fruit. Because isn't this how we measure? You know, when there's, when there's a, a crop of fruit, we measure it by its fruit. One story and I'm done. Um, two months ago, uh, we, we lost somebody here that many of you knew. Glenn Thomas. And Glenn, um, as I think about Glenn, if you went to the 8.30 service ever, and when you came to 10.30, one of the first people you saw coming in the door, I'm convinced it would have been Glenn, but Ryan would, you know, sprint, sprint to the door to greet you, you know, but you'd see Glenn. And Glenn was there, and, and as we were at his memorial service, he passed away a couple months ago, it was really interesting to hear people talk about Glenn. Because people would say, what a joyful man. What a kind man. What a good man. What a gentle man. You want to know why? Because when people walked in the door here, and this is why I'm convinced that the foyer is one of the greatest ministries here at this church, is because when they walk in the foyer, they experienced the fruit of the Spirit in Glenn Thomas's life. And here's what I love about Glenn, is I was sitting with his wife and his daughter, Kay and Lisa. One of the things they pointed out was that Glenn hated going to a funeral where you walked out feeling like that person was just a perfect saint their whole life. He'd go, I, I know things about them and I know better. You know what Glenn knew? <laughs> Glenn knew that every single one of us has a sinful nature that rages within us. And yet Glenn, we look at his life and we see the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what Glenn would say? That wasn't me. That wasn't me at all. That was years upon years upon years. And it doesn't mean perfection, but it means that when my desires rise up, well, the Holy Spirit's desires are right there too. And I just need to decide which one I'm going to let grow. I can follow me 
and live out a sinful nature, or I can follow the Spirit. And so, let me ask you, when somebody stands up at your memorial service or your funeral one day, what will they see that grew from your life? Will they see the fruits, the acts actually of the sinful nature or the fruits of the Spirit? Because what grows from your life depends on who's guiding your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you're a God who you looked at us and you realized, no, you knew. We can't do it. We cannot stand before you, holy and righteous and justified in your eyes. We need major, 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 major help to do that. And so thank you for our Savior. Thank you for Jesus going to the cross, but thank you that you sent a Holy Spirit so that we would no longer be obligated to, to butt up against the law, but we could live a life of love that Jesus lived, that perfectly fulfilled it. These fruits, Lord, let them be exhibited in our lives, not because we are in charge, but because you're in charge. And keep that with us every moment of this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming this morning. Have a great week.